0: The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples. And we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. John chapter 20. If you need a Bible this morning, there are uh, some in the seats in front of you. Uh, Underneath there, you can grab one of those. We're in the Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 19 through 23 as we begin our new series for the year. So 2022, uh, it is a new year. Uh, and as we enter into this year, we want to focus on the theme of mission as you go. And we want to come to understand what it is that God calls us to be as the church in these days. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be looking, beginning our series with this passage from John 20, verses 19 through 23. And I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of God's perfect and precious. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly... Before your word, for instruction, or so that we can hear the words of life, for we confess the sentiment of Peter, where else can we go to find the words of life? Lord, it is only here. And so we come back to you again and again and again. We hear all kinds of messages every day, all kinds of news. And Lord, we know that the only message that can save, the only news that is eternally good is found right here in Jesus Christ in the Gospel. So remind us today of that. Lord, I pray that this church would be faithful to the mission that You have called us to. I pray that Your people here would live our lives in obedience and in love for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this in His name, for His glory. Amen. Please be seated. It was a long time ago, but the year 312 was a very significant year In the history of the church. In fact, it was the year 312 that perhaps one of the most consequential conversions to Christianity outside of obviously what happened in the Bible. But it was in 312 that the future emperor of the Roman Empire, Constantine, was converted to Christianity. Why was that so significant? There's some debate on the genuineness of his conversion. You know, a lot of scholars today would argue that he did it for purely political reasons. That's really not for you or I to decide. And to be honest with you, it's sort of beside the point for our purposes this morning. No matter what happened there, there is universal agreement on the significance of his conversion. Because when Constantine... The emperor of the Roman Empire said, Jesus is Lord, he immediately made Christianity legal. Not even legal. Sanctioned. Perhaps even favored for the very first time in the world. Historian by the name of Mark Knoll writes, With the conversion of Constantine, the reality of the church as a pilgrim community gradually gave way. Should you think about this with me. For 300 years the church had been despised in culture. The church had been persecuted in culture. Christians had been hunted down and taken to arenas to be served to hungry lions as entertainment. There were all sorts of rumors about Christians and what they did in their meetings that weren't true. Christianity was despised. Christians were called atheists. Not because they didn't believe in God, but because they didn't believe in all the gods that everyone else in the empire believed in and worshipped. And in 312, the most powerful man on the earth became a Christian now obviously there's some positives to that right a lot of this is where a lot of scholars debate that meant the end of persecution that meant that you could now be a Christian and and perhaps not have to run and hide for your life that's a good thing but there were also there was also a cost and this is the part that I want to focus on this morning With the conversion of Constantine in 3.12, for the very first time, the mission of the church and the mission of the world became one. For the very first time, politics and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ merged. And when that happens, corruption happens. When that happens, the church is easily led astray from its holy purpose to declare the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter the consequences. And the church begins to hunger for power and for comfort and for cultural acceptability. And ever since that date, the church has struggled to maintain the purity of its mission because of the temptation toward cultural and political power. Even to this point. There was a long time, I don't hear it argued much anymore, but for a long time it was assumed that the United States of America was a Christian nation. It's a Christian nation, we, we, we used to say. I would argue that that's never been the case. And I know there's some that still believe that. But I think it's really important that we understand that we're not a Christian nation. Because as long as we believe that the Christian gospel finds a hospitable welcome in our culture, we're going to have a hard time being on mission in the midst of that culture. Right? If this is our home, if everything's great here, then what do we have to do? What do we have to accomplish? The reality, church, is that our neighbors increasingly do not see the world the same way that we do. What we have and what we've had for a long time is something called cultural Christianity. (laughs) And listen, you may think you're from the Bible Belt in Kentucky, Let me tell you about the Bible Belt in South Alabama, where I'm from. Cultural Christianity is where everyone just says they're a Christian because it's culturally beneficial to be a Christian. Because that's how you get elected, and that's how you get promotions, and that's how you get respect, and that's how you get to be the coach of the Little League team. Increasingly, that's not the case. But we've often missed that. One of the problems is how we count things in our nation. You you poll people and we say, how many of you are Christians? And everybody who raises their hand, we, we write that down. We say, see? Look at the millions of Christians. For the longest time, the Southern Baptist Convention that we're a member of has claimed 16 million members. But on any given Sunday... There are less than 6 million in Southern Baptist churches. Which one of those numbers really reflects how many Southern Baptists there are? What's the second one? And by any count, if we start measuring the practice of Christianity, instead of what people just claim about Christianity, if we measure how many people are actually practicing their faith in the United States and America... Any count of that would conclude that less than 10% of our citizens are evangelical Christians. Less than 10%. In fact, that's the number. When when Ashland began thinking about Oldham County, Kentucky, and whether we should, should do this, what we're doing here, planting this church here, we realized based on the data that less then 10% of this county goes to church in evangelical churches on Sunday mornings. Now, if you drove out your neighborhood this morning, you probably recognize that. But this is the question, church, that I want us to ask in 2022. What does it mean to be the church in the world right now where God has placed us. Don't you think that's an important question? Yeah, I understand. That we are a pilgrim community. What that means is that we are living our lives in a land that is not our ultimate home. Over and over again the New Testament reminds us of this. We are exiles here. We are pilgrims here. This little church that gathers here is an outpost of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the middle of the kingdom of this world. And those two kingdoms have opposite values. And we are called to live in the world according to the values of Christ's kingdom without compromising the values of Christ's kingdom to the values of the kingdom of the world. That's our calling. We are an outpost, an embassy. Think about that, an embassy. When uh, Nikki and I adopted back in 2010, we were in Uganda, and Nikki was there for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and we were waiting to get word. When are they going to let us go? She, she finally went to the embassy, which is like the United States in Uganda, <laughs> And pled her case. Could we get the papers done, please? And they told her no. And, and she, she broke down and said, no, you, you have got to do this. And they did it. They did it. That embassy represented the peace, the, the values of this nation there. And that's what the church is. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to be. We are the embassy of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this world. You want people on your street, you want people in our community to get a sense of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of Christ. We should be the model of that for everybody to see the way we love each other, the way we treat our neighbors, the values that we live by, the priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our mission. This is what we're called to be. And You know, it's easy to lose sight of that. It's really easy to lose sight of that because, listen, it's really easy to focus on the same thing that everybody else is focusing on. My life, my mental health, my career, my family. And those aren't unimportant things. In fact, they fit right into here. In fact, I am convinced, I have long believed, that all of those things are tied to commitment to the mission that God has given us. My life works best when my life is in line with the mission that Christ has given me. My mental health is best when my life is aligned with what Christ has called me to do. Believe that. My children are going to benefit from faithfulness to this. And then the other thing that we have to overcome as we begin this conversation this morning, I know this is a long intro, but it's an intro to a whole series, okay? The other thing that we have to overcome is that when we hear the word mission, we often associate it only exclusively with sending people out there. Where does mission happen? Well, we have to send missionaries to other countries across cultures in order to participate in missions. And, and, and I don't want to underemphasize the importance of that because that is certainly central to our mission. But it's not either-or. It's both-and. We are on mission when we send people to the nations, but we have to recognize that we are the nations here too. And we are called to be on mission here in our community. And that becomes increasingly important as we increasingly realize that our culture is just as pagan as the cultures that we're sending missionaries to. God wants us, and this is the reason for the language, why, is, why are we calling this as you go? Because we are wanting to put emphasize, emphasis on the reality that this is a mission that you and I are called to embrace within the regular rhythms of our lives. You don't have to stop, quit your job to be on mission for Jesus. You don't have to move houses to be on mission for Jesus. You don't don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to interrupt the normal rhythms that you're currently in. You bring the mission along within the rhythms of your life. You are on mission for Jesus in your neighborhood, at your job, in your school. That's what we're called to be. And that's why we're emphasizing it the way That we are. And what we're doing here at the beginning of the year is we're going to be looking, because listen, every one of the Gospels ends with one of these calls. And we're going to look at many of those. These were the last words. Last words are important, right? These are the last words of Jesus to His church before He ascended to the Father. So we begin here in John. We begin asking this question here in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, what is it that you want us to do? And the first thing I want us to see is peace, not fear. Peace, not fear. Verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, okay, this is important because we're jumping into John. Where there's a lot that's happening. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has now been resurrected. And so we're talking here, when it says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, we're talking about the day of Jesus' resurrection, the very first Easter Sunday. And where do we find his disciples? The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. This makes sense, should. Think about this. Their, their leader had just been violently arrested, unjustly condemned, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, and crucified. Peter on that very night as predicted by Jesus and that's kind of one of the subplots here had denied Jesus he didn't want to be associated with Jesus in that instance why because he didn't want to suffer the same fate and so here we have Jesus's disciples It seems like probably everybody's there except for Thomas, which we learn he was missing because Jesus is going to have a different encounter with him after this. So, So there they are, and they don't know that Jesus has been resurrected. Now we do know that John and Peter went to the tomb, but they didn't see Jesus there. They saw an empty tomb. That's all they saw. So this is going to be their very first sighting of the resurrected christ and all the promises that he had made in their mind they're still in doubt about all of that and so they're afraid they're afraid because their lives are in danger but listen church they're also afraid because they're not quite sure about this jesus thing yet he said he was the messiah they believed him but then he was crucified and now he's not there anymore they're afraid they're in a room the doors are locked and i want you to understand something Fear will paralyze you. It always does. They're terrified. And they're, they're doing nothing. They're not on mission. But then Jesus shows up. It says, He came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And then, when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now the doors were locked. And so, Jesus comes in. There's clearly a human body. He is showing them His scars. It's clearly Him. They recognize Him. But there's something else going on here. He's clearly in a different state than He was before because He's able to enter a room where the doors are locked. And what does He say to them? He notices that they're fearful. And the, the thing that he greets them with is peace, peace, peace be with you. And we listen to that and we go, yeah, peace, man. All right, like, that makes sense. You know, we've got the like barefoot, chaco wearing hippie Jesus walking around. Of course he's going to say peace. That's what hippie Jesus does. But listen, this peace was more than what we think. This isn't just some vague equivalent to some hippie notion of world peace. This is more than just a greeting. This is the Greek equivalent to a Hebrew word that you may have heard before because sometimes this word makes its way out. And the word is shalom. Shalom. What does this mean? It means When everything in the world is right again. That's what shalom means. Peace be with you. The well-being that's associated with the kingdom of God. In other words, when God is reigning, and everybody in the world, and everything in the world recognizes His reign, we will experience shalom. Peace. Life as God intends it, where everything is made right, where reconciliation rules the day. Reconciliation between us and God, reconciliation between me and you, reconciliation with the world, reconciliation everywhere. Relationships are the way they're supposed to be. It involves everything that is good, that is true, that is right, that is just, that is beautiful. You don't understand, I mean, there's not just one word that, that defines shalom. So peace is kind of inadequate because it certainly involves peace, but it involves all those other things I just said to you. The good, the true, the beautiful, the righteousness. And we, we hear peace and, and we often subjectivize it. We think, well, peace means an inner feeling that I have. And it certainly includes that, but it's so much more than that. Peace is not just something that you experience in your closet by yourself. Peace is something you experience when you're living with a bunch of sinners in community. You see? see, Peace is the way that I can get along with you. Peace is the way that you can call me brother and I can call you brother and sister. Peace is how we live. It includes all of that. The other mistake we make is that we make peace a human achievement. You know, the stereotypical beauty pageant queen. If you could do anything in the world, what would you do? World peace. It's such a wonderful idea. (laughs) Such a wonderful idea. But you know as well as I do that we have been at this thing for thousands of years, and we ain't had world peace yet. You you listen. Washington D.C. ain't bringing about world peace. Do I need to tell you that? If I need to tell you that, schedule me for counseling next week. It's not happening. I have the 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 Kentucky Baptist newspaper, Kentucky Today, is doing a feature on the the adoption culture of our church, which is really exciting, and uh, they they sent me some questions for an interview and I was responding and one of the questions was how does your adoption culture fit within the mission of your church and my response was we don't have an adoption culture without a gospel culture those two things we listen we're not going to bring about justice and world peace, even if we adopted every orphan on the face of the planet. Because you know what? They're going to keep being more orphans. There's always going to be injustice. There's only one answer to the problem of injustice. Paul tells us, listen, Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 20, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. That's how peace comes, church. When we submit to the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when when we fall down at His feet and we say, You are our Lord. You are our hope. You are our wisdom. You are our righteousness. You are our sanctification. You are our justification. You are everything. You have adopted us into Your family. That's why we go and adopt orphans in the world. Not because we have some oversized notion that we're going to fix the world and clean it up. Because our actions flow out of the actions of Christ in the cross where He is cleaning everything up. No cross, no peace. You understand that, don't you? doesn't do you a lick of good to talk about peace and justice if you're not also talking about what Jesus did on the cross. Where Jesus died for the sins of the world. where Jesus saved people from every tribe, tongue, nation. The foundation for racial reconciliation is the cross of Jesus Christ. And you better believe we're about racial reconciliation, but we're not about racial reconciliation outside of the cross. We're about it because of the cross. It is the foundation for everything that we do. So when Jesus says, Peace be with you, All of that is what he's intending. Listen, this isn't the first time he's talked about peace in this gospel. In fact, I want to look at a couple of others just so we can understand this a little bit better. If you turn back with me to John 14 for a moment. John 14, verse 27. There's a lot of parallels. And listen, if you've ever studied the gospel of John, the best way to do it is with a reference Bible, because when you, when you read about something in one place, understand that there's probably four or five other places in the gospel where Jesus is taught on similar themes, and, and you understand them all by reading them all together. And so in, in 1427, Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit to his disciples here, and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now you, you see some themes here. Number one, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus in this passage and in our passage associates peace with the coming of the Spirit of God. So that's there. The second theme that's here is the theme of fear, right? So there's some, there's some sense in which to have the peace of the Holy Spirit means to not be afraid. The disciples are afraid. Jesus shows up, shows them his scars, says, I'm the king now. I've been resurrected. You need to not be afraid anymore. Here's my peace. Here's my spirit. So you see these parallels. But you also see this distinction that he makes here. He makes a distinction between worldly peace and what he calls here, my peace. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So there is a peace that the world is after, and there is a peace that comes from Jesus. Now, I've spent the week trying to answer the question, what is that? What's the difference? This is what I think. And let me tell you why. Turn to 16.33 for one more parallel passage. 16.33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, this is the key to me. How is his peace different than the world's peace? Because the world's peace is dependent upon circumstances. The world's peace says, If my life is the way I want it to be, then I can finally have peace. If my job is the job I want, if my money's in the bank like I want it, if my relationships are the way I want it, if the the world is not persecuting me for being a Christian, if all of these things happen, then I can have peace. And Jesus says right here, you have peace in me. In the world, you will have tribulation, but your peace is rooted in the reality that I have overcome the world. This is why He shows them His scars in His side and His hands. So that they would know in the moment of His appearance that He has overcome the world by resurrection power. This is the peace that Christ has died to bring us. He wants you and me to have this peace now. And the disciples apparently receive it. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad. They they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The fear has been replaced with gladness because they have received His assurance that He has indeed overcome the world. And they have also received the peace that He gives them. And they're about to receive the sign of the Holy Spirit. From him. Listen, we're no different than these disciples. The tendency to live our lives in fear continues to paralyze the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. Listen, whether, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's secularism. Are the wrong side winning the politics? Whatever it is, Christians today are living in fear. We want to lock our doors and we want to build a big wall and want all the people not like us to stay on the other side and that is not what Jesus has called us to do. Our Savior has overcome the world so that we would not live in fear in the world. That's what we're called to do. Because listen, if we're, on, if we're afraid, we're not on mission because fear is paralyzing. So don't be afraid. We have access to the greatest power, the only one who has ever overcome the world in history. He's alive. My kids and my family and I, we were watching The Amazing Race this past week because it was really cold. We had snow days, and we, it was like two hours of it. And there was this scene where some of the contestants in The Amazing Race, they had to go like underneath the ground in, in London uh, on a train and sort through mail to find their next clue. And there were two of them. They were sorting through the mail, and they found the clue like immediately. And then they looked at each other, and they were like, it can't be this easy. So they had like the clue to get to the next thing in their hand. But because they didn't think it was that easy, they decided that they would had to keep rummaging through the mail. And so they started ripping open all the boxes like they were there and everybody passed them. And we're sitting there at home going, no, you've got it. Go, go back. You've already got the clue. And listen, I think that sometimes that's us when it comes to Jesus. We are rummaging, sorting through the junk mail of this world, looking for answers, looking for peace, looking for something to help us. And all the while, we have already the Savior who has overcome the world, and for some reason, we don't think He's enough. We think he's still, there's something still out there that God's hiding from us. There's some new parenting trick. There's some new development in science. There's some new psychology. There's some new article that's going to come out. There's some miracle drug. There's something out there still that I desperately need. And church, I need you to hear me today. Jesus is what you need. You already have it, you already have him. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing that can bring you peace like He can. It's not like the world's peace. It's better than the world's peace. Because it's the peace that comes from the kingdom of Christ. It's the peace that will be the world's peace one day. But we get to enjoy it right now but here's the second thing i want us to see sent not home verses 21 through 23 sent not home notice in verse 21 how important peace is to this whole conversation because jesus repeats it jesus said to them again peace be with you and then he tells them this as the father has sent me Even so, I am sending you. And so, this is the mission. So this is important, because if you don't have the peace, you're not going to receive the mission. If if you're not settled in Christ, if you're not confident in Him, it it doesn't make sense to talk about a mission. You, You have to be rooted in Jesus. You have to be reconciled through the peace of the cross first. And now he says, here's the mission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. How did the Father send Jesus? Why did the Father send Jesus? This is important. Jesus is drawing a parallel. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. comes from the top. God the Father sends Jesus. Jesus gets his followers. He sends us. It's continuous with his own mission. John 3:17 What is his mission? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to condemn the world. He came that the world might be saved. He came to bring peace through the blood of the cross. So that's the what. But here's the part we often miss. He he doesn't just want us to grasp the what of his mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. He also wants us to grasp the how. See, this is the part that the pragmatic church in the United States of America has often completely missed. Because what we want to do is we want to say, well, thank you, Jesus, for giving us the mission. We're going to go do that now. But we've got a better way to accomplish it than the way you did it. And so we're going to rely on tricks, and we're going to rely on manipulation, and we're going to rely on advertising, and we're going to use the world's means to accomplish the Lord's mission. And that is not the way it works. That's why the church is crumbling at its foundation, because it's not been built on the true foundation, which is Jesus Christ. We don't use the world's tricks to accomplish our king's mission. He told us how to do it. So, what's the how? John 15. Should have warned you that you might get paper cuts this morning. John 15, 9 and 10. Here's that language again. Remember, as the Father, Remember Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We see that parallel language here in, in this passage, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So how do we do it? There's two things going on here, and they're both tied together. Love and obedience. Love and obedience. Jesus says, the Father loves me. If you want to abide in my love, then you have to keep my commandments. The way that you abide in my love is by keeping my commandments. We don't like that very much. We we like to believe that that Jesus loves us so much because he doesn't care if we keep his commandments. And that's what love is. But that's not the way love works. If you love Jesus and you understand that He loves you, you're going to want to obey Him. And so that's what's going on. We we, we obey Him. We look to Him. His will, His commands, His Word is always the guide for how we do things. And then there's one more passage. If you just flip back to 13, 31 through 35... When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So this is Jesus forecasting what he's doing at the end he's saying i'm going to die i'm going to be resurrected and then i'm not going to be with you anymore i'm going to ascend so this is what he wants us to know he he, we can't follow him where he's going he's leaving us here what does he leave us with a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is amazing to me. Because this is Jesus tying the mission to the church. The one another is spoken to His disciples. His disciples are about to go through all the world proclaiming the gospel and organizing churches. The one another is the church gathered. The one another is, is you and me, the people in this room, the people who are members of this body. We are the one another. How do we show the world the love of Jesus? We love one another. We love one another. If we can't love one another, we can't bear witness to a gospel of peace that reconciles us to God and to one another. That's why forgiving one another is not an option. That's why getting along is not an option. We, We have to get along. We have to love one another. Our witness is tied to loving each other. And then in verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, John is certainly wanting us to think back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When God creates, He breathes the life into us. But He's making a parallel. Jesus breathing. This is not the, the creation. This is the new creation. But what Jesus is doing is no less significant. He is inaugurating His new creation. And He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know... That this is not the point in time where they actually did receive the Holy Spirit. We know this because of John. We know this because in John 16, 7, Jesus says when he promises the Holy Spirit, if I don't go away, you cannot receive the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with them. So what's he doing here? I'm convinced this is a sign to them. He's going to give them the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts. We know that. And so here in this room, he breathes on them and he says receive the Holy Spirit as a sign of what they're about to receive at Pentecost. Because they have to understand, and you and I have to understand, that this mission to go into the world and proclaim Christ to everyone is not able to be accomplished without the presence of God in us. We need His Spirit. Jesus is the source. comes from His breath. And then he says this, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now listen, I could preach a whole other sermon on just this verse because there is so much here. I'm not. But I I want you to understand that when he says this, there's two things happening. Number one, we read that and we're like, he gives us that power? Like, if I forgive you, you're forgiven. If I don't forgive you, No, he's saying this to the church. He's saying this to the apostles, who are the foundation, he tells us in, later on in the epistles, of the church. But what he means by this is, as we preach the gospel and people believe the gospel, we proclaim forgiveness to them. We assure them of the forgiveness of God. We say, if, if you believe in Jesus today... You can be saved. You can be reconciled to Him. And everyone who receives that by faith is reconciled. They're forgiven. And we tell them. But everyone who rejects that, who refuses to believe that, they're not forgiven. They're not reconciled. And we have to tell them that too. It's powerful. To me, verse 23, and the reason I would love to spend more time here is because I'm convinced that our understanding of the church is so much lower than Jesus' opinion of the church. And he's basically telling the church, I am giving my baton to you now. My mission that I came to bring is now going to continue through you, through the church. We have been given this. This is such a calling for us. Church, this is our purpose. This is why we're here. You ever, you know, some of the time I look at my fat, lazy bulldog and I and and I ask myself, what does he feel? Because he seems so human to me sometimes. I know he feels like he wants to eat constantly. And I know that he feels like he wants to sleep. But, like, I also know there's some big differences. You know, as a human being, I'm created in God's image. My kids are created in God's image. I kid with my kids and tell them they're ranked below him sometimes, but they know that's a joke. But one of the things about being a human being is that we can't live without purpose. Now, my dog doesn't have a purpose. He just goes off instinct and appetite. But you and I, our lives work best when we have a purpose. In fact, when we don't have a purpose, we struggle. There's a reason why a lot of people go through a midlife crisis. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. I'm not making light of it. That's a real thing. Often a midlife crisis comes upon someone when they realize they're getting older, when their kids have left the home. And what are they struggling with in that moment? They're lacking purpose our world has a lot to say about purpose. Our world would tell you that you own your own life, that you belong to yourself. You just make up your own purpose. Whatever works for you, that's that's what you need to live for. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound liberating to me. Because when I hear that, what I worry about is that I'm going to pick the wrong purpose. How do I know which purpose is the right one for me? That's a lot of weight to bear. And to be honest with you, it's not ours to bear. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus. I'm not my own. I'm His. And So I don't make up my own life purpose. Jesus gives it to me. Jesus gives me my purpose. My purpose is defined by Him. My purpose is to take His peace And just as the Father has sent Him to go into the world and declare forgiveness of sins in Christ, if you would know this Savior, you can experience it too. What a gift. But church, listen. If we believe that this world is our home, we will never live like we're sent. If we believe that this world is our ultimate home, we will never live like we're sent. And in the coming weeks, we're going to flesh this out more. But for today, I want you to understand this. No matter where you live, no matter how old you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what your circumstances are, if you are Christ's, you are are sent let's pray together